Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hello, I'm Janet Morana, Executive Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our program. Well, you know, abortion is in the news and on everyone's talking about it. It's something that I have hoped for a long time. And finally, everyone's talking about abortion because of the overruling or overturning or reversing of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. It's all in the news. And there's so much information out there that's not correct. So we're here to correct the record here, so to speak, on our program. And I'm going to be interviewing today. You're going to love this gentleman. I've known he's been a dear friend of mine and Father Pavone's in our ministry for many years. Uh, he's been in pro-life ministry for over 16 years. He does things nationally, internationally. He's an articulate speaker, a pastor. I mean, oh my gosh, he wears so many hats. Of the most recent ones, he's head of national ministry uh, with the Douglas Leadership Institute. So joining me today is uh, Apostle Arnold Colberth. Arnold, <laughs> welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Jen. It's wonderful. Oh, to be it's here. my pleasure. So my first question, because I'm not familiar with the title Apostle. Can you explain that mm -hmm. to me and our, our, our people? What's that title mean? Well, you know, the the biblical office of an apostle is one who has a special calling and is sent to do a particular thing. And for your Catholic viewers, they can probably make the connection between a ministry or office that is referred to as an apostolate. So uh, so it's so it's out of that ideology that it comes. Ah, OK. Hey, cool explanation. I get it. I love it. <laughs> So let, let's go back in history. I mean, I've known you for a very long time. You've been an active leader in the pro-life movement. Um, for a while there, I know you worked with the Leadership Institute, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, no, no, Life Issues. I'm sorry, Life Issues Institute. Um, yes. So tell us about your journey. You know, obviously you've, you've been a pastor. You're now the title of apostle, but you've been always on fire with the Lord. What first opened your eyes to the issue of abortion, where you said, I have got to do more about this? Well, you know, um, my family has always been uh, pro-life. Uh, we've talked about pro-life and um, chastity and those kinds of things for as long as I can remember. I'm old enough uh, to remember uh, January 22nd, 1973, when Roe versus Wade was uh, was initiated. I remember that uh, tear-filled uh, broadcast by Walter Cronkite and, uh, you know, announcing this infamous day in our nation's history. Uh, my father, the late Dr. Anderson Colbreth, who was an incredible pastor and preacher, then had uh, Dr. Jack Wilkie uh, to our church to speak. And um, my father was the first black pastor to bring in Dr. Jack Wilkie and his wife, uh, Mrs. Barbara Wilkie, who Dr. Wilkie was a medical doctor, as you know, and uh, his wife was a registered nurse. I was a seventh grader and Dr. Wilkie gave his powerful pro-life presentation, which was, it was simple, it was scientific, and it was impactful. He basically showed you a baby uh, post-birth and he walked you backward all the way to the single cell zygote that we all started as at, at conception. And he says it, the, the DNA is the, the same. 
everything is the same. The only difference being time, size, environment. And uh, I thought it was quite powerful and I thought it was a quite portable way of being able to share the pro-life message with others. Fast forward to 2007, Doc, that same Dr. Wilkie then um, uh, hired me to be his national director of urban outreach at Life Issues Institute. And I had the privilege right. of working directly with this pro-life icon for eight years. That's right. That's right. And that's how I first met you, uh, uh, Arnold was uh, in those days. And I, I have to say, you've always been uh, so articulate uh, with the mm. issue. So let, let's just talk for a, a moment ab about the Black community. Um, as we know, statistically, uh, and I know uh, Life Issues has studied this, that Planned Parenthood targets the Black and Hispanic community. Uh, there's more abortion clinics, and they've studied this, in minority communities than in uh, uh, urban, you know, suburban white neighborhoods, so to speak. Um, so what have you been doing all these years to kind of raise that awareness about abortion in the black community? And what are you are finding? Are, are they becoming more and more pro-life? Give us a snapshot of that. Okay. Well, let me go backward before I go forward. When I worked at Life Issues Institute, I birthed a, uh, it was referred to as a department protecting black life. And if people go to that website, protectingblacklife.org, although I no longer work there, um, we pioneered that, that research that you're talking about that conclusively shows that 79% of Planned Parenthood's surgical abortion facilities operating at that time are in a two-mile walking distance of Black and Brown communities. One of the things we've been doing at the Douglas Leadership Institute is we are unapologetically trying to reverse the curse, as we refer to it, of Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger's strategy, working with the American Eugenics Board, wrote her infamous letter to Dr. Clarence J. Gamble of the Procter & Gamble Fortune, which is headquartered here in Cincinnati, where I live, Procter & Gamble. And she wrote that we should hire um, a handful of Black ministers. The, 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 uh, the way to get into the Black community is with a religious appeal. Therefore, we need to reach the Black pastor. She said they should be articulate. They should be, have a social service, excuse me, social service background. And that was going to be the way that they were going to infiltrate the Black community. So what we're doing at the Douglas Leadership Institute is building relationships with pastors, equipping and empowering them to stand for life. And we're so excited about our Jeremiah 1 and 5 project. So, so Arnold, how are you finding now, um, you know, unfortunately, traditionally, so many of the, the black vote votes, as you know, Democratic Party. Mm. And as we know, the Democratic Party takes such a strong position on abortion till birth. Mm -hmm. And how are you managing to kind of change the discussion more to shine the bright light on what they're about and why voting pro-life? Uh, is more beneficial to the black community. Uh, can you address that problem for sure. us and how, what's the progress we're making? <laughs> well, I tell you, one of the most strategic um, methods that we use is the power of relationships. So we spend our time, that's, that's my primary assignment as the national director of ministry engagement with the Douglas Leadership Institute is building relationships with pastors and uh, educating and equipping them about um, abortions uh, background 
and how it how it originated, uh, Margaret Sanger and that whole story, uh, but also to help them to understand the conflict that abortion is, uh, biblically speaking. Um, you know, so so that's that's really uh, how we do it. Uh, we're not doing it from a talking point perspective. We're not doing it, um, 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 you know, challenging them for, for a task. We're building relationship with them, helping to educate them, helping to see the connection with scripture. And many of them are, are on board. We have over 500 black pastors signed up and standing with us and our Jeremiah 1-5 project. I will also say we have non-black pastors standing with us and we have people of goodwill across the spectrum standing with us as well, because you don't just have to be a pastor to sign up for our Jeremiah 1 and 5 project. That's wonderful. So are, are you doing anything specifically then under this project uh, to help get out the vote, to help make sure they're registered to vote properly? And then are they informed about the candidates, the position on the candidates about life. So are, are you going to be in a 501c3 friendly way mm -hmm. engaging in this important midterm elections? We we do do uh, some of that, absolutely. Um, we, we are a 501c3 organization, the Douglas Leadership Institute, and we have a sister organization that's called the Frederick Douglass Foundation, which is a C4 which goes a much more uh, overtly uh, political in its uh, in its mission. Uh, so these two organizations coupled together, we we do pretty well with the help of the Lord to uh, to get our messaging out there and to shift things. I'm not as concerned about our progress being not uh, reported in the mainstream media. I'm really more uh, focused on our progress being uh, recorded in the annals of heaven. And uh, we're seeing pastor after pastor after pastor that are shifting their perspectives and encouraging their congregations um, to, to follow suit. I will say this one other thing. During the pandemic, 2020 and, and much of 2021, when everything was on lockdown and everything was virtual, we spent that entire year and a half doing twice a week pastor's roundtables on Zoom. I was leading those along with some of our team members. And we had male and female pastors only on these Zoom calls. And many of them are sharing their own post-abortion stories themselves. And, and many of them said that they had never shared that testimony with anybody, but in the safety and sanctity of pastor only Zoom calls, we've been reaching these pastors. One of the reasons pregnancy help centers, right to life groups, et cetera, have, have been unsuccessful at getting inside of churches, particularly black churches, is because many in our pulpits are post-abortive. So if we can get our pulpits healed, we can get the message of life, hope, help, healing to the congregants sitting in the pews. That's right. And, you know, that's a wonderful point, Arnold, because, you know, even in the Catholic world, uh, a lot of priests uh, will beg off preaching about abortion in a kind way. Uh, they won't say a word about it because they go, oh, well, we're afraid of hurting those in the pews who, you know, have had an abortion. And what we try to make them understand is they think they're living in that, they're, maybe if they're even in church, they think it's the unforgivable sin. They're ashamed of that that sin. 
And unless you address it in the pulpit, unless you say there's no such thing as an unforgivable sin, we're here for you. While abortion is wrong, if you made that mistake, we're here for you. We're on your side. They don't, it's a hard thing. We keep selling it, Arnold, and you are too, mm -hmm. that opening up like that, the floodgates will open. More people are going to come into your church. More people are going to come and talk to that pastor. Um, you know, we have to keep working on it, but you, what you're doing very often here is so important, healing the pastors who have an abortion experience in their past or maybe their wife's past. It, it, it's, it's so important. So I really want to thank you for, for taking the, the lead there on that. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do some contract writing for a focus on the family and I'm currently uh -huh. working through a series uh, the first uh, article was Pro-Life 101 for pastors. And then I did Pro-Life 201. And any day now, Pro-Life 301 should come out. And in that series of articles, I'm talking about the very thing you've just shared. And that is pastors are afraid that they're going to re-offend, you know, uh, post-abortive men and women sitting in their pews. And uh, I have the privilege of being married to an incredible woman. My wife, Barbara, and I uh, have been married for 37 years uh, last week. Actually, when I was with a meeting in a meeting with you in Washington, <laughs> D.C. last week, it was my 37th wedding anniversary. But my wife had an abortion two years before we met. And she told me about it before we said, I do. I'm glad she did. But now years later, God is using she and I in tandem to carry this message uh, to the masses and particularly to people of color. But what she said to me was that if she would have heard a message of life from the pulpit, she more than likely would have made a different decision. And the, um, um, the scathing thing in her comment, even though she's not saying it to be hurtful, is her preacher was her father, my father-in-law. Um, she, so she's basically saying, if my father, my pastor, my preacher would have talked about life from the pulpit, I probably would have made a very different decision and maybe would have had a child, you know, um, uh, living now. Um, right. So, yeah. Well, you, know, you just made also to a very important uh, point, Arnold, that um, the fact that she trusted you enough before mm. you were married to tell you about her past. Mm. You know, so, so often couples go into marriage and either the husband or the wife has have a past abortion and they don't bring it out before they're married. And it comes into the marriage and it can mess things up. And I've tried to encourage uh, both priests and pastors, when you're talking to a couple that are engaged and coming to you preparing for their marriage, you kind of need to bring up this topic. And I always tell them, you don't have to say the abortion word. You can just say, have either you had an experience with any pre pregnancy losses in your past? Just like that. Mm -hmm. Use the words pregnancy mm -hmm. loss, you know, just to get your toes into the water. If there's been a pregnancy loss, they're going to open up at that point. Trust me. Um, and it is mm -hmm. so important. I mean, tell for just a minute, because people are so afraid to broach this topic. When she came to you and told you, what was your reaction? And, and, and how did you feel at that point? Well, you know, we, we had been dating for a while. And uh, I, I was in love. I, I was hooked. And, and she was as well. 
And I had mentioned marriage several times. I had not formally proposed to her. I just mentioned marriage. And I know the men uh, listening are going to cringe because I'm giving away secrets from from uh, from from man law, man code. But uh, we float the topic out there of abortion a few times to to test the waters and see what the probability of a favorable response is, you know, <laughs> before we actually pop the question. But every time I would ask her, uh, she never really responded. And I'm like, what is going on? Am I am I losing my swagger? I mean, what what what's happening? And, and we're, we we had just finished a date, uh, date night, a movie and, and dinner night. Uh, I met her in Dayton, Ohio. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. I met her in Dayton, Ohio. I was finishing architecture school and I wound up uh, at her father's church through the persistent nudging of Miss Alice Moore, who lived in my apartment building, who was a member of that church. And that's how I ended up at that church. And that's how I met my wife. But she would never respond when I mentioned a marriage. And she said, you know, Arnold, you've mentioned it several times. There's something I need to tell you, um, you know, if we're going to go forward. And I don't normally get nervous. I mean, I've knocked around a fair amount of, uh, of my life, you know, in the streets and just, you know, mischievous stuff that boys do. I've studied martial arts. I've been a United States Army a veteran and those kinds of things. But I got nervous in that in that moment, Janet. And, and I didn't know if she was going to say there used to be, uh, you know, there was another man. I, I didn't know if it was going to be a Jerry Springer moment and she was going to say she used to be a man. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know what was getting ready to happen. But she shared her abortion story and she shared with me that she could still remember the smells in the place. She could still remember the sound of the suction machine. And she said this and it was bone chilling. And I only share this because I have her permission. She said, I'm damaged goods. She said, if you don't want to move forward, I would understand. And I knew I loved her. I didn't know everything I know now about abortion, but I knew I loved her. And here we are years later. She's gone through forgiven and set free. And she now, after retiring from working for the city of Cincinnati for 31 years, now works part time at a pregnancy help center in our city, sharing her testimony practically daily. Wow. That's that's a beautiful story, Arnold. Amazing, amazing. It just shows you, you know, honesty is the best policy, <laughs> you know, as they say, for an old cliche, but look at how beautiful it ended up for you, for you both, you know? Okay, here's another question. What were you doing on June the 24th at 10, 10 a.m. this year when we heard the Dobbs decision that yes, indeed, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey were overruled, overturned. Where were you? What was your reaction? <laughs> okay, we have to repeat the question. We'll edit this, okay? So, okay. Arnold, Arnold, where were you? On June 24th, 10, 10 a.m., when we got the news that Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey had been overruled or overturned, whichever phrase you like. Where were you and what's your reaction? Wow. I was in um, Lake Charles, Louisiana. I was speaking at a conference with uh, Dr. Jennifer uh, Robach Morris and the Ruth Institute. Uh, which is a powerful uh, pro-life, pro-family organization. 
and uh, they deal with the sanctity of marriage and really fighting against um, um, the, the sexual revolution and all of that. So I was at that conference and it was it was my wife's birthday. Uh, June 24th is my wife's birthday. So I was in the hotel room with my wife. I was not over in the conference. So my wife and I are weeping. We're praying. We're rejoicing that God would give just a, a redemptive wink to his beautiful daughter, my wife, uh, a post-abortive woman on, on the day that over, uh, Roe versus Wade is overturned. But I will conclude with this. Over at the conference, I heard at lunchtime that during that moment, the announcement came in and half of the uh, speakers and audience are Protestant and half of the audience are Catholic and both just embraced and wept and, and celebrated uh, this this glorious um, uh, shift in our nation's culture. That's right. And, and so with with this announcement, of course, as you know, <laughs> abortion now is on from the back burner, it's on the front burner <laughs> and will continue to be so. Um, what do you see as uh, for, for your ministry now with the overturning? Um, I mean, it's only been about a month now, a little bit more than a month. Are you getting questions from, from your membership, from your pastors? What are they asking? What, what's on people's minds uh, that we've gotten this big decision? Yeah, and that's one of the things I really love about the fact that the Douglas Leadership Institute, the 501c3, has a, has a sister organization, the Frederick Douglass Foundation, which is a 501c4, and both organizations are chaired by my dear friend, uh, Reverend Dean Nelson. Uh, so, so, so what we're doing is helping pastors to, to understand what pro-life laws are currently on the books in their states, and then for them to rally around those that are in support of those laws and determining, are there any additional laws that need to be, uh, you know, in place uh, to give further teeth to protecting life uh, in their, in their states. Uh, we're also helping them to to uh, to just teach and preach the sanctity of life. Much of our work that we've been doing with our Jeremiah One Five project continues. You know, it's about educating pastors, helping them not to be fearful to address life from the pulpit, and um, uh, to do it with with a mixture of truth and grace. Many pastors learn the information that you and I know and have shared in this broadcast and then want to come out with guns blazing, you know, preaching with hellfire and brimstone. And as you said earlier in the broadcast, most women and men that are post-abortive, they're already feeling the weight of the world on their shoulders. They don't need any uh, any fire and brimstone from the pulpit. They need grace. They need love. They need truth. And I love 1 John 1 and 9. It says, if we confess our sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that includes abortion. Yeah. So, so members of, of your group who are mm -hmm. in states that unfortunately have already passed extreme abortion laws, we know who they are, mm -hmm. California, Illinois, Vermont, New Jersey, New York, you know, the, the list. And there's, a, mm -hmm. of course, more to come. And that's why we have to hold the ground in the pro-life states and increase there. But what about the pastors that are in those states where they're going to 
allow abortions till birth. Do you have any kind of strategy or way of discuss, helping them discuss this issue to realize how extreme the laws are in their state and how the people shouldn't give up? They can try to change the legislature to be more pro-life and eventually they can ch change things. So w what kind of advice are you giving to them? Well, it's a twofold approach. Uh, on the one hand, it is doing exactly what you just said. That is working, collaborating with with um, with co with colleagues in the movement to to um, to to get out the vote. You know, to vote for those that are going to advance uh, life affirming uh, policies and and to overturn um, you know anti life laws that are in their states. Right. At the same time, we're pushing to continue the process of teaching and preaching the, the preciousness of life. Because as we've been doing that, it is simultaneously uh, making abortion unthinkable in the hearts and minds of many men and women across our nation. Right. Well, you've shared a lot of information with us today. So people must be saying, how do I connect with Apostle Arnold Colbreth? What's the website I can go to get all this information, read these articles, all this great stuff you've been doing. So share with us, how do we connect with you? Oh, thank you, Janet. They can reach me through a D as in Douglas, L as in Leadership Institute, dlinstitute.org. Uh, and you'll you'll find us there. We have a we have an amazing uh regional conference coming up. It's our second annual regional conference coming up um September the 29th through October 1st in a, in the greater Atlanta, Georgia area. And we're gonna go deep on all of these topics. That's great. That's great. Now on uh, the website too, we can find your writings up there too. You post your writings. Uh, no, to, to get to our writings, you would need to go to focus on the family and uh, just put my name in the search box and those articles will come up. They have them clustered together. I've done a number of them from Black History Month to uh, foster care and adoption, et cetera, et cetera. So many people think that, that we just focus on the baby and the womb and all of that. And and, and that's hogwash, you know, we've been working on, I, I even use the term whole life more than I use pro-life because we're focused right. on life from womb to tomb, from beginning to end. That's right. Well, Arnold, thank you for joining me today. You are a gift to the pro-life oh, movement. Uh, thank you. Or I think we should call ourselves the pro-life industry because that's what we are. <laughs> We're the opposite of the abortion industry. We're the pro-life industry because we have so many people working across so many different aspects here. So I want to thank you for what you've been doing. So God bless you and may it continue to blossom and grow. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. God bless. God well, bless brothers you. and sisters, I want to remind you uh, before we go that each week, Friday evening at 9 p.m., we have the Pro-Life News Show in review, Pro-Life News of the Week. Tune in uh, this Friday night to endabortion.tv, 9 p.m. You won't see Just Ask Janet. You're going to see Pro-Life News in review with Teresa Watson and Leslie Palmer. They do a fantastic job. And because abortion is now on the front burner, once again, I want to remind you of my brand new book, Everything you need to know about abortion for teens, 
Adults can read it too. Go to abortionandteens.com, place an order today. I'll personally autograph it for you. So again, abortionandteens.com. And remember, brothers and sisters, there are some abortions only you will be able to stop and some lives only you will be able to save. Join us again next time. Thank you and God bless. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.